Hey there. We're so glad you tuned into our podcast today. We wanted to let you know that beginning June 3rd, we are shifting to our summer schedule and we will be having one worship experience Sundays at 10 a.m. If you want to find out more, visit our new website at wearefreedomlife.com. If you were to go to Yellowstone National Park in um, Wyoming, if you were to go out there, uh, you would find that if you were to go on the tour or enter the, um, the visitor center, they would give you a sheet, more than likely they would give you a sheet, with instructions of locations and things. And one of those things on that sheet is uh, the phrase, please do not feed the bears. But apparently there's a reason behind that. And what someone found out later was that they said that they would find people that are visiting and and, in the park, they were actually seeing them, spotting them, feeding bears. And uh, so a park ranger was summoned and said, hey, uh, what's going on over there? Why why are they feeding bears? Why do you tell us? And and the the, the park ranger then replied, um, sir, the ranger replied, You have only one small part of the understanding as a visitor here. You need to understand something. He described later that in the fall and winter when the numbers are down from the visitors, down to little or none, that they literally have to carry away dead bodies and bears from the park. And they questioned why that was the case. And what happens was, was what was happening was people were feeding the bears and the bears no longer desired to find their own food to hunt for their own food and so it wasn't so much a protection for the people not feed the bears it's a protection for the bears they lost their desire they lost their willingness they lost that edge to go and hunt for their meal You know, that brought to my attention a very real truth, a very real application, what I believe is happening to many people in America today and even across the globe. Every believer's life should be characterized by obedience to God. And what's happening is many people are starving spiritually because they're depending on a pulpit like this to receive their meal. They're waiting for moments like this to be fed. They're waiting for moments like this to get to know God, and that's the only moment. And when that's not there, what do I do? How do I grow? I don't know how to grow. What this story and this real-life situation that's happening right now, there are people that don't desire to chase God anymore because there's an app for this and an app for that. But there's never anything that happens outside of this pulpit for some people. If your word doesn't come from here or one particular location, I'm lost. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to seek God for myself. I don't know how to find the will of God or purposes in my life. What is happening that somehow people have lost their desire to hunt for their meal? What has happened that will cause us to get to this place where we no longer value Finding God's word in the midst of life's circumstances. You see, we cannot become dependent on a world that doesn't have our eternity in mind. 
Did you get that? We cannot depend on a world that does not, look at me, does not have your eternity as their priority. We have to trust in a God that not only holds eternity in his hands, but also has directed eternity through his presence. We lean toward a God who knows all eternity by his own self. So we have to knock down this idea that the world will supply all of our needs. I want to talk to you this morning a message of a two-parter. Next week, I'm going to bring a second part of this greater message. But this message this morning is entitled Greater, the Picture of Discipleship. Greater, the Picture of Discipleship. The context in which we're talking about here this morning is simply this, that the true gospel, the true gospel of Jesus calls us to commit to things that we have never ever committed to. I want to unfold to you this morning a few things that we ourselves have to understand. In the context of this morning's message, there's a greater principle that has to take place. The New Testament teaches us this. There must be a cross before there's a crown. There must be a cross before there's a crown. There must be suffering before there's glory. There must be a sacrifice before reward. The heart of Christian discipleship and following Jesus is giving before gaining and losing before winning. Is that right? John 14, 12. Let's turn there for a moment. Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. But this verse has baffled me. Because it goes even further. It goes on to say, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. You see, greater has always been in God's intention. Greater has always been his intention for us. He's never been about you settling for mediocrity. He's never been about settling For where you are, he's always thinking the next thing for you. We look at our circumstance and we are so right now minded that we sometimes have to be reminded that he has seen the picture from a very different angle. Realize that he's seen it all, right? He's seen it all. There's no shockers to God. Greater has always been in his plan for you. You see, I'm not the person or the preacher or the pastor that will all give you the fluff and all the stuff that's nice and pretty without giving you the nitty gritty. And I'm going to tell you that there's going to be some difficult things. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said that you will be persecuted. In fact, he who finds his life will lose it. He goes on to say, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So let's talk about principles for a few moments. Let's talk about what it means to have greater principles. So Jesus talked about greater principles. The greater principles, uh, and I looked up the definition for principle because I needed to kind of get a capsule because when Jesus gives us principles, you know that they relate to a lot of areas of our lives. Did you know that? That when the word of God gives us principles, those principles are, uh, they're cross-cultural. 
Did you know that his principles are cross-denominational? Did you know that they're, they're cross-financial? Uh, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, whether you're rich, poor, tall, short. It doesn't matter these things, black or white. It doesn't matter if you're, whatever that looks like, it doesn't matter. God's principles apply to you. And so here's what, here's what the word principle itself was defined as. A fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior. So here's what Jesus taught us. Are you ready? Three simple things. You must lose to win. You must give to gain. And you must die to live. Not seeker sensitive. This is not a self-help book. This is a God help me book. You ever read it and it became a God help me book? You're like, oh, that's so good for myself. Oh, that's so good for myself. Oh, that's a God help me. I need to do that? If you're Latino, you go, ay Dios mío. Dun, dun, dun. You ever read something and wish you could white it out? Like, okay, hold up. Anybody got white out? Just need to take that part out. That turn the other cheek thing. I don't like it. There's a lot of things you won't like. Jesus made it very clear. He turned to them and said in Luke 14. Here's what he said in Luke 14. And this is not. This is not a Sunday school thought. And he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me. And does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, cannot be my disciple. This is not your Sunday school text. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I love what one theologian responded according to this text, the commentary that I read. And he said this about this verse we just read. Here's what he said. Christ's aim was not to gather appreciative crowds, but to make true disciples. He never adapted his message to majority preferences, but also plainly declared the high cost of discipleship. Here, he made several bold demands that would discourage the half-hearted. In verse 26, it seems to be rather difficult For the hatred here is actually a lesser love. Jesus was calling the disciples to cultivate such a devotion to him that their attachment to everything else, including their own lives, would seem like hatred in comparison. Friend, let's not get it twisted. There's a lot of religions out there, and people will point to Christianity as one of them, that they all hate, they all are the same thing, and they all lead to God. Let me make this crystal clear for all of the people that may be wondering. And I'm going to be controversial for a moment. You ready? Not all paths lead to God. They'll lead to something, but not all paths lead to the ultimate, true, and living God. Not all holy books were written by God. There is one author. One author and multiple writers. We understand this to be true, that there is one true and living God. And a lot of people want to point that Christianity as being one of those religions that you're about hate. See, they're about hate. Christianity hates too. 
you got to go back to the original text to understand what's happening here and understand that God is always pointing to his grace. And let it be declared from this pulpit here that God is a God of grace, but he's a God of, that is just as well. And he deserves more than I think American Christians want to give him. Let's stop watering this gospel down. Let's stop watering down discipleship and chase the king that deserves me chasing him. What does that chase look like? It means lifting my hands when I'm tired. Lord, I'm tired, but I'm going to lift my hands because you deserve the best. Not that that's any more than just kneeling, but I'm telling you that it deserves more out of me than just a small tip in the offering bag and 30 to 90 minutes in front of a preacher that's going to tell me something I didn't do right this week. If you think that's what we are and that's what the church is, you missed it. You missed it. We are a place where you get to hear freedom. The freedom that comes from Christ alone. But if this is the only place you are drawing your discipleship from, you're missing it. You missed it, my friend. Go back to the drawing board and realize that everyone has a copy. And if you don't, we will furnish you with one before you leave this room today. Because this right here, outside of the sun, was the greatest gift God has ever given man. His word. Your word is your bond. Many people take that very important, right? That's a very important thing. Your word is your bond. His word is his bond. And he said he's going to be with you even to the end of the age. What does that mean? It means for those who follow him. So let's look at the picture of discipleship found in Matthew 16. If you have your Bibles turned there, Matthew 16. Here's what I'm, this is where I'm pulling all of my text from. Matthew 16, verse 24 to 27. Four verses that give a picture of discipleship. First, he said, if anyone comes after me. Listen, that's applied to the initial surrender of new birth. You come after me. If you want to come after me. You have to do it with passion and desire. When a person comes to Christ for salvation and the old life of sin is exchanged for the new life of righteousness, something has happened in the heavens. Did you know that the heavens rejoice when someone comes to Jesus? Did you know that the heavens rejoice when someone says yes to God? The heavens rejoice. And we're about that here. We're about bringing people to Jesus. So let me make this very clear. Discipleship happens more than just here. Discipleship happens when you go home and the people you're around are not friendly. And you go to work and the people you're around there are not friendly. And your neighbor done did it again. Not friendly. You know what I'm talking about, right? Class. And Walmart. Wherever it is that people are unfriendly. You know what? If you're going to come after me, What's the first thing he said? Let him deny himself. You know what that is? That's a daily decision. Because conflict is a daily thing. Conflict is a daily thing. If you want to love Jesus, you must deny yourself. That daily decision is very important. It means to completely disown and utterly separate yourself from, guess who? Yourself. God is ultimately asking you to have an outer body experience. <laughs> Come out of your flesh and be spirit man. Walk in the spirit so you don't gratify the lusts of this flesh. 
that's not easy because often the enemy is found in a me. The enemy in a me. We can make up a lot of excuses. Let me ask you a question. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever made, an, made up an excuse for yourself because you didn't want to face yourself? And you find yourself talking to yourself. A lot of self in there. <laughs> you know what that is? It's pointing out self. That's what God's been pointing out from the beginning. Because it became about self in the garden. It's been about self since then. The moment man wants to be like God, the focus has shifted. The focus has shifted off of his purpose for your life, and now it's my purpose for my life. It's a daily decision that you have to commit to every single day. Jesus is always addressing our natural, our sinful, our rebellious, our unredeemed self that lies within us sometimes that wants to come out. But it's not you anymore. You are a redeemed individual with unredeemed habits. Did you get that? You are a redeemed individual with unredeemed habits. And that's where that daily deny yourself comes into play. To deny yourself is to have a sincere and genuine conviction that he is my focus. To deny self is to put no confidence in the flesh. To deny self is to subject oneself entirely to the lordship of Jesus. No, he's not just God. Follow me. He is Lord. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Big, big difference between him being God on the throne and Lord of my heart. David Jeremiah, fantastic man of God. He said one time, when we try to live our lives in our own strength, we ultimately fail. And if we don't fail, we fall very short of God's purposes for us. And I agree with him. Because the flesh wants nothing more than what the flesh wants. It has no eternity in mind. It has no desire to look beyond this natural. It just wants what it wants. And so when we operate in the flesh, there are three things that happen. Now listen closely. For those of you that like to tweet, those of you that like to share your thoughts, things of that nature, this is a good one right here. Because when we operate in the flesh, three things happen. It could be one of three things. It could be two of three things. It can happen. All three of these could be happening to you right now. If you walked into this place today or you're listening online or, or something, you're streaming this, maybe it, there's a point that's happening in your life right now that you're frustrated or whatnot. And I'm about to point out some things that I believe is happening to Christians all across America. I believe it's happening across the globe from people that have decided that their flesh is how it's going to be approved. God is going to approve of you through the flesh. Number one, we will, when we operate in the flesh, we will always lack the power of the spirit and suffer from fatigue because you're trying to get there on your own. You'll lack the power of the spirit and suffer fatigue, fatigue, fatigue. 
Another thing that happens when we operate in the flesh is this. We will always lack the vision of the Spirit. It's the vision that, of the Spirit that leads us to that next place in our lives, right? It's the leading of the Spirit that leads us to that next point in our lives. What happens after that? Frustration. Frustration sets in. So when we lack power, we suffer from fatigue. When we lack vision, we suffer from frustration. The third thing is when we lack, we operate in the flesh, we lack the sustaining ministry of the Spirit. That is, His connection with us, leading us to the next thing, leading us to the next thing, leading us to the next thing. He's moving. If we're not, we will fail. We will fail in this. We will fail in that. And you ask yourself, why do I keep failing in these areas of my life? There's a possibility that you're operating in the flesh and what is happening is you're no longer allowing the spirit to lead you. People want to be spirit-led without the spirit sacrifice. It got real quiet. That means I did something right. I don't always buy the amens. Sometimes amen is a cover, right? Amen, pastor. Man, that hurt. I think we've all been there, yes? We've all had moments where we lack the spirit and therefore find fatigue, lack vision, and become frustrated, lack sustaining ministry, and therefore fail time and time again. Does this sound familiar to you? You always suffer these results when you tackle life in your own strength. But when you, when you face head-on tragedy or circumstances that you don't understand, financial hardship, rebellious children, and you turn to God, that is what brought you to God. Why does it take sacrifice? Why does it take something to happen for us to turn to God? It happens to all of us. When you, felt, when, you feel, when you feel helpless and inadequate, that's when you're most dependent. See, the Apostle Paul admits that if we, it takes weakness to get God's attention and God's power sometimes. He says, he says to me, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I feel weak, God. Good. We're getting somewhere. We don't want to feel weak. We want to feel in control, right in the middle, know exactly what the next step is to do. We want that. But when he asks us to take it, we're like, wait, what? Time out. I didn't sign up for that. I I thought this was going to be, like, fun. And there will be. But he said, my grace is sufficient. You know Oswald Chambers? Ever heard of Oswald Chambers? Wrote an amazing book many years ago. My utmost for his highest. There's an excerpt that I'd like to read to you that blew my mind. Can I blow your mind for a moment? And if it's not blown already, I'm going to try to right now. Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, the battle is lost. Listen closely because this is, you got to follow me. The battle is lost or won in the secret places of the will of God. Never first in the external world. The spirit of God apprehends me and I am obliged to get alone with God. And fight the battle out before him. Until this is done, I lose every time. The battle may take one minute or a year. That will depend on me, not on God. But it must be wrestled out, of, out alone before God. 
I must resolutely go through the hell of a renunciation before God. Nothing has any power over man who has fought out the battle before God and won it there. That's good. Good this morning. If I say I will wait till I get into the circumstances and then put God to the test, I shall find I cannot. I must get the things settled between myself and God in the secret places of my soul where no stranger stranger intermeddles. And then I can go forth with the certainty that the battle is won. Lose it there and the calamity, the disaster and, and upset are, the, are sure to happen as God's decree. The reason the battle is not won, listen to these final words. The reason the battle is not won is because I tried to win it in the, in the external first. Get along with God, fight it out before him, and settle the matter there once and for all. Friend, look at me. It's about ordering your private life. Getting this thing right. Deny yourself today so you can conquer tomorrow's issues. Prepare yourself for what is coming. The life that Christ has put in you because of his death breaks the bonds, the bondages of Adam's curse and sin. Second thought is simply this. A devoted duty. What is that talking about? Take up his cross. Take up his cross. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross. This is not common in many of, of the places that we live in today, America is very different when it comes to taking up their cross. You know what? People want to look at taking up their cross as it's my unsaved spouse. It's my unsaved coworker. Look at me. Taking up your cross is not your unsaved spouse, coworker, neighbor, child. It is not those things. Taking up your cross is not an issue happening to you right now. Well, I guess I got to bear my cross. That's not what that means. Let's look at what it really means. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, you know what he's saying? It means I am willing to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and yes, even martyrdom. Because God is my source. Taking up my cross does not mean I'm just... Dealing with the pressures, dealing, you know what I'm doing, I'm just taking up my cross. Every, that's not what that means. It means I have settled in my heart that no matter what comes my way, my Jesus is the one I serve. My Jesus is the one I serve. And I've made that up. I made that up in my mind. It's done. It's settled. No matter what happens. The cross my friends, was an instrument of execution by the Romans. Not every disciple was called to be a martyr, but every disciple was commanded to be committed to be a martyr. That doesn't fare well in seeker-sensitive moments either, does it? You know that Freedom Church, they're all about martyrdom over there. No, I don't wish anyone in this room but we got to be committed like if, if it was to come down to it. There will come a day 
and has come a day for some when they were, gonna, they were asked, who do you believe? And because they stood for Jesus, their life was snuffed out. For some early, at least we thought. We don't know what that looks like. But here's what I do know. Not everybody in this room will be a martyr. But everyone has to live like they're willing to be. You know what this world cannot stand? Bank fees. People who don't put their carts back when they go super, sh- supermarket shopping, right? And an unpowerful church. They can't take it. That's why they mock. They mock because they're right. We've lost our heaven flow. We've lost our connection. You know what? I need you to understand something. The world is looking for answers. And if we're a powerless church, what do we have to give to them? We have to be a church that has devoted duty to God. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. That's not being preached in many churches today. Matthew 16, Jesus began to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Pastor, Rabbi, Jesus, that's not good preaching. What do you mean you're going to go suffer? We don't want that. He called a bunch of them, right? Twelve disciples. One of them, his name was Peter. And the other one, his name was Judas. Did you know that he looked Judas in the eye and he called him friend? He looked Peter in the eye and said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's not what the world does. That's not natural. That's not normal. The world says, hey, Peter's my friend. Judas, you're a betrayer. Jesus said, that's what the world does. He looked Judas in the face and called him friend. And he looked at Peter in the eyes. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? I tell you why. Because Jesus does not operate on this world's standards. How are we supposed to love a world when everything that they do is contrary to God, but they know nothing else? It's what they know. It's what they know. It's your job to live Christ-like, not theirs. Stop holding them to your standards. You're supposed to deny yourself. You're supposed to take up your cross. You can't tell them to deny themselves, take up their cross. They haven't even known who Jesus is yet. That's your job, my job. That's the job of a disciple. Anyone seeking to alter God's plan is doing Satan's work. Ouch, that won't work well. How do you reproduce his kingdom? Because that's important to him. How do you reproduce his kingdom that matters to him? And here's my third point. Diligent devotion. Diligent devotion. He said this, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Is that enough? No, 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 no. It's not enough to internally deny yourself 
physically take up your cross if you're not moving. A lot of churches struggle with this part. We know we're sinners, Jesus. I take up my cross. Let's, let's love Jesus and let's realize that we got some things wrong. I realize I got some things wrong. They take up their cross, but they never do anything about it. They never follow him. And you know what following him looks like? I'm glad you asked. Here's what it says. It's two verses. Two verses. Two verses, and I'm going to pray in a moment. You ready? Diligent devotion tells us this. 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You know what that says? If you say you love Jesus, you should walk how he walked. Love how he loved. Act and react like he acted and reacted. When's the last time you walked on water? Just checking. See me after service. We look at that and we think that's greater, isn't it? We think about miracles that Jesus did like that. And we think that's greater. But no, he said greater things will you do. How will you do those greater things when you deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow him. That's how greater happens. Greater happens when you realize that you're not the center of the universe. Christ is. And we must be about his mission. Here's the last verse I want to share with you. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It goes all the way back to his word. If you don't have this word in your life speaking to you, then you have other voices speaking to you. And I don't know about you, but my sinful nature is not trustworthy. My sinful nature is not trustworthy. Can I get an amen for that one? Hopefully that was an amen on your part, not mine. Like, yeah, pastor, you're all messed up. (laughs) Discipleship cannot happen on Sundays only. In fact, you really can't truly be discipled here. Right here in this window of time that we have. You can be challenged. You can be encouraged. You can be built up. But when we look at what it means to abide in him, that's a very different thing. So today, no matter where you find yourself, if you walked in here this morning and you you know Jesus, great. What are you doing about it? If you walked in here and you don't know Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Here's what you could do about it. Decide that he will be your savior, not just God on the throne. See, a lot of people I talk to, sometimes they have, you know, they'll have a cross or a crucifix. And, and I love that because even before I became a Christian, I carried a cross. It didn't make me a Christian at all. Because I carried it and I, did, I didn't change my attitude at all. But it reminded me. Now, people, I remember people asking me, why do you carry that cross? Well, it just reminds me that I'm not perfect. Well, you don't need a cross to remind you of that, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross. Following means I got to do something about what I know. Discipleship is doing something about what you know. Being greater means saying yes to the little things. So you can be a part of the greater things. Can I pray with you right now where you're at? Because I want to pray that whatever it is you're facing today, that you'll be willing and able to say, I want his greater in me. Right? I want his greater 
in me. So Father, we commit to you ourselves right here today to be greater. Not because we are great by ourselves, but because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That you called us to do greater things not because we're super special, but because you love us all and your creation is important to you. Thank you for putting your image in us. That we can love, help, and heal this world around us. It is your greater that makes us great. And it is your greatness that will make us eventually greater. Lord, I pray today Allow us to commit better, to do better, and to know better. Do something about this faith we claim today in Jesus' name.